Many of the talks that have been given in General Conference, they talk about empowering this new generation of young people. And President Nelson has talked about how powerful, like really millennials and, and Generation Z are, and how they are showing so much love and tolerance and acceptance of others. And they are asking questions and they are trying to feel empowered. And I see this even in in my job, like I work as a teacher and my students, particularly my female students, they are speaking up more. They have incredible ideas. They are contributing to this wonderful dialogue. And so this really is a time to tell these stories because people are ready for it and they are willing to build on that momentum just to keep on creating something that's really important and really beautiful. It's time for another episode of The Cultural Hall, and it's not often that we have more than one guest. That's right. We've got a, a double dose this morning, and I'm excited to get in uh, to, to talking about uh, a Deseret Book, to talk about womanhood, and to talk about these two ladies. It's Becky Hood and Emily Cushing. Like Pushing, welcome, you guys. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Uh, now, it's fun, too. Uh, right before we started recording, I said, do you guys have any idea uh, what you are getting yourself into? And both of them then went, no, we just we show up when we're told to. So I'm excited to be able to have this conversation with you. You guys both, you know, I, I always wonder how to call it uh, when it's a collection of essays. You guys sort of authored and then helped collaborate and put this together. Tell me about this project. Do you want to go ahead first, Becky, or... Do you want me sure. to go? Sure. So uh, this book was Emily's brainchild, and she started compiling the stories of Latter-day Saint women who had passed away. And then when she recruited a co-author, um, she was also looking for people to interview living women, living Latter-day Saint women. And so that was my job. And we collaborated through the whole thing. When we were stuck, we would switch profiles and we would have each other read for each other's feedback. So we were very involved with each other's work every step of the way. It's like a, an uh, an authoring, uh, like accountability partner, it sounds like. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So where did this whole thing come from then, Emily, if it's your brainchild, where did that brainchild uh, grow up? Um, I had listened to a conference talk about Aurelia Spencer and she um, she was the founder of the primary and I grew up, you know, going to primary and I, and I had never heard of her. And so I was like, how come I've never heard of this woman who actually, you know, made a big difference in my childhood. And I found out that she was, um, she had walked across the plains and she, her parents had, she didn't have parents at the time. And so anyway, I just thought she sounded amazing. And then I heard another conference talk about Irene um, Corbett and she had been on the Titanic. And I thought, how come I don't know that there was an LDS woman who had gone over to England to study to um, learn more about helping with infant deliveries? Because the um, at that time, the, the mortality rate was pretty high. And so I'm like, how come I've never heard very much about these women? And so I thought it would be really cool if there was a book about more Latter-day Saint women. But um, I had five busy children at the time, so I kind of put it aside. And then, um, and then I saw another book about famous women, and I thought we have all these books about these famous women, but within our own community and within the Latter Day Saint, you know, we have a lot of amazing women here too. So, so that's kind of when it lit a fire under me to go ahead and and pursue this book that I had thought about for a really long time. 
So then, Becky, how'd you get wrapped into this whole thing? <laughs> it was, Emily, you'll have to correct me. I think it was December, November, December 2021. Um, Emily was searching for co-authors. And I think you were also working with Deseret Book, and they were searching specifically for an author of color. And so um, I had interviewed with her, and she had several other candidates, and the rest is history. Now, what uh, you mentioned, and it's it can quickly become unraveled on some of these things where it's like, we're looking for women of note, and then you have to sort of filter it through a particular lens, or this is what we're looking for, this is not what we're looking for, because as we all know, there have been millions of Latter-day Saint women, all of which who could be qualified in some way or another to be in this book. What was sort of the that filtering thing, Emily? Um. Honestly, I feel like we were really guided in the women that that came to be part of this book. Uh, I would look, we started, and Becky helped me with this process. We would um, look through magazines and podcasts, and we were just searching for women. But a lot of them came to us in uh, like different ways that we didn't expect. And some of them came to be where they are in the book and others we would we would kind of see if we could reach out to these women or find more about them, find out more about them. And and some of it, it just kind of stopped and others it kept going. One example of this is I found this article of a woman who was deaf and blind and she was in Samoa and she uh, was baptized and and everyone in her village kind of mocked her for becoming a member of the church. And I loved her story. But finding her in kind of a remote village in Samoa was proving to be kind of hard. But um, another woman, the 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 missionary, the sister missionary who actually baptized her, I found an article, a very small article about that. And her story of how she even got out on a mission was pretty amazing. Hmm. And so I decided then to focus on on her instead. And her name's Melissa. But I had no idea where to find this person. And so I I um I searched a little bit and finally realized that she was from New Zealand and my son served a mission in New Zealand. So I thought, what the heck? I'm just going to ask him. <laughs> so I send him a text and I say, is there any chance you ever met a person named Melissa tail? And he wrote back and he said, that is a very popular last name. Like yeah. that's going to be kind of hard to find someone with that last name in, um, in New Zealand. He said, you possibly have a picture of her. And so I, I, I screenshot a picture, I sent it to him and he said, oh, she was a teacher at the MTC when I was there. Mm. And I was like, oh my goodness. So anyway, so, and within a half an hour, he'd sent out her, her name and picture to some friends and I had her contact information. Wow. And so, and she'd even been married. So her last name wasn't even Teo anymore. So I feel like, I feel like Heavenly Father really did like some of the people, it just came to us. And that's, that's just one of a few stories of how they came to us in different ways. So, so, so many unique stories. And like you said, so many Latter-day Saint women, millions throughout different time periods who have done extraordinary things. But for some reason, it's these 23 women who it came down to. So, so Becky, what was it about this particular project that, I mean, you mentioned that there's sort of an interview process and kind of a, you know, auditioning or at least submitting to be a part of it. What was it that attracted you about something like this that you're like, yeah, that's, that's what I want to spend some time doing. Mm-hmm. So I am a big believer in storytelling. And so I was working on a project before Emily contacted me that featured a lot of um, stories from amazing Latter-day Saints. And at the time when, when Emily contacted me, she sent me the draft of Irene's story. 
And I was just immediately captivated and thinking, here was this amazing Latter-day Saint woman where she was on the Titanic and she was willing to sacrifice so much to be able to gain an education, to be able to bring that back to her community. Mm -hmm. And so that story really stood out to me. And then shortly after, I had heard a, a podcast from the LDS Women podcast, and they were interviewing Melissa Inoue. Mm-hmm. And she had said, can you name five women in church history? And uh, I was I was stunned. And I was, it was very sobering when I realized, no, like I can't do that. And so Emily's project, this just felt like it was fitting and filling such a profound need for the church community to be able to tell these remarkable stories and to have women recognize that these are are their stories too. Well, and there's definitely a time. It's interesting you mentioned uh, Melissa in a way. They, she and Kate Holbrook have not not uh, an identical sort of project, but uh, I would say a sister adjacent sort of project uh, that has recently come out where that's essays of uh, women and how they find their faith. Uh, right. And you know that that book. I'm making sure that I get the name of that uh, correct. It's Every Needful Thing: Essays on the Life of the Mind and the Heart. And there's a link for that in the show notes as well. But w- what is it about this time, this 21st century time, that uh, that means that now these women's stories can be told? And I and I actually would like both of you to answer that. Sure. All right, Emily, <laughs> you're up first. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um. I feel like we have a different perspective as well than maybe we did in the past. And I feel like we're a lot more um, just aware of diff- different cultures and and that we're celebrating the diversity. We're at least trying to. Mm-hmm. And, and in this project, Desert Book, they have a BIPOC committee. And as part of that process, I actually really loved that process as well. They would take something, an essay that we had written, and then... Um, they would, in fact, Helen, she, she was a part of the Hopi tribe. They took hers and, and they went through it and they said, this is what you wrote. This is why maybe you don't want to say it that way. And Mm -hmm. here's why, and and here's a better way to say it. And so even for me, just in that process, I learned so much just about being aware and, um, you know, and, and so I, I, I'm grateful that we have, hopefully we're moving in that direction and have a better perspective than we did on the past and that we can appreciate the differences because uh, one of the main hopes of this book too, is to see that even though these women may have come uh, long before us and they cross the plains or whatever, or there's someone living in Ghana who has a different experience than me, who's mm-hmm. living a different life, but maybe we have similarities um, that make us, you know, alike, and we have connections, even though our different, we have different circumstances. What about you, Becky? What do you think? Oh, I I agree with what Emily said, and I think about at least within the last decade, many of the talks that have been given in general conference, they talk about empowering this new generation of young people, and President Nelson has talked about how powerful like really millennials and and Generation Z are, and how they are showing so much love and tolerance and acceptance of others. And they are asking questions and they are trying to feel empowered. And I see this even in, in my job, like I work as a teacher and my students, particularly my female students, they are speaking up more. They have incredible ideas. They are contributing to this wonderful dialogue. And so this really is a time to tell these stories because people are ready 
for it. And they are willing to build on that momentum just to keep on creating something that's really important and really beautiful. You know, I like the um the the lightness and the um the love that it seems like is shared through uh, the project that you guys are doing. It could have been and is very easy for some people to be like, yeah, you know why you can't name five women in history in LDS church history is because, or you know what, it's it's keeping the voice of the women. W- was there ever any sort of temptation on either of your parts to be like, yeah, oh, kind of that that frustration or or anything like that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think before I started working on this project, um, I'd briefly mentioned I was working on a previous project mm-hmm. and I definitely approached that book with that kind of mentality where I was like, let's, let's expose all of this stuff. And it just wasn't the right spirit to approach this. This is meant to be empowering. It's meant to be uplifting. And so when I really look at these women, I just think, why would I focus on like the deficits or the negative things when we have the chance to highlight the most incredible women with the most incredible stories. And the whole point is to be able to have these stories emerge even more so that they can keep on being told. And so if we did that from the wrong approach, that the purpose would have been completely defeated. What about you, Emily? I, from the get-go, was just so excited to celebrate these women's stories and to tell about them. And and actually, I'm a young women leader, and I teach the uh, 16 to 18-year-old class. And, and one of um, the girls in our class one week, at this point, with Desert Book, we are trying to decide the tone and the voice that we wanted to use mm-hmm. and who the, our audience really was going to be. So we've been talking about that. And, um, and then one of my young women, she said... Um, I, I I really wish that that we saw more about women in our church and mm-hmm. and that I knew more about them and that she was a little bit struggling with that. And so I came home and I emailed our editor and I said, I think that this is so important that we make this accessible to young women as well and and really just make it pleasing and to them as well so that hopefully they'll pick up this book because I I think, yeah, we can, like you said, kind of be like, ah, but instead we decided, no, then let's go ahead and change that. Let's go ahead and get these stories out there and make it so that um, young women have them to read as well as um, adult women. And so that's kind of the tone and the voice that we went for was so that it could be, uh, you know, easily accessible for both of those groups and and men and young men as well. That would be really great if they were reading it, too. Uh, stepping into this completely as a white gentleman, what is the power and value of being able to hear stories similar to yours represented? Becky, you want to take it? Yeah, I don't know. I just think when we learn about different worldviews, we are more mindful of God's plan as well as his love for all of his children. And so when we are engaging with these different perspectives and values, that's really powerful. And it's really showing our ability to show compassion for others in order to perhaps suspend some of our belief systems so that we can understand where they're coming from. But we have all of these women that are representing different backgrounds, races, and ethnicities. And I just think how powerful would it be if there was a young person living in Brazil or a young person living in Ghana, and they see this person is like me. And 
Another major point of this book was that these are ordinary women and they have done extraordinary things. And so when these people think, oh, these are my stories as well, it doesn't have to be huge acts of heroic things. It can be really small steps of faith from everyday women that can really change the world. And so I just think that's what the most powerful thing is, just focusing on what women are able to do even in their communities and how that's able to flourish and really help so many other people. Is there anything you'd add to that, Emily? Um, I completely agree with her. And um, like Carmen, for example, she's in our book. She saw a need in within her own. She was a convert to the church and she saw that some of the, the vocabulary that was used at church was hard for her to understand. She hadn't grown up with that. And so she started what was basically a gospel essentials class within her own ward or branch. And a visiting general authority came. He saw this and thought, wow, this is something that would probably be helpful worldwide. So because like, and there was probably other things as well going on, but, but um that was a program that was started and he had seen that within her teaching that type of lesson. And then she also, a lot of people during that time had to, it was when they didn't have a consolidated block. So the meetings were out throughout the week and in Guatemala during that time, it was really hard for the people to get back to the church throughout the week. So they said, why don't you have it in one consolidated block? And so Guatemala was one of the first places that they tried that And then that ended up being a church-wide thing. So again, like to Becky's point, it was these ordinary women who just said, hey, this might be a better way to do this. And then it really affected the way that all of us even worship on Sunday and, and, you know, how often we even go to the church. So, so that, that I loved seeing that and learning about their stories. And, and I noticed that even in my own life that I, I learned from these women and I hope the readers feel the same way that then helped me to be better in my own life. And so I appreciated that a lot as I researched and learned about their lives. I want to take a quick break. When we come back, I'm going to ask you to the hardest question of this entire interview. We'll come back and do that in the second block of the cultural hall. Hey, you guys wanted to talk to you about a new voice app on the Amazon Alexa. It's made by the church. That is the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And it's geared for kids and grandkids aged four to 11. It's called the friend magazine skill, and it allows your kids to play the friend magazine from an Amazon Alexa smart speaker. Now here's what's cool about it. Each month it's going to include new stories and new music from the friend magazine. It's uh, you know, a thing that your kids, they know what it is. In fact, if you said, Hey kids, enable the friend magazine skill, they've already done it before you even ask them. And the best part is it's free. It's built by the church, so there is no advertisements or any content that you need to worry about. And it's a fun, great way to help your kids learn about the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's called the Friend Magazine Skill. Be sure to enable it on your Amazon Alexa smart speaker. Hi, friends. Dan the Laptop Man here from PC Laptops. Our lifetime service guarantee has become the most trusted warranty in the industry. You can get a brand new PC Laptops desktop computer, and they start at only $29 a month. Check us out at PCLaptops.com. Here in the second block of the Cultural Hall, remember, you can always become a Patreon saint of the Cultural Hall. Just go to Patreon.com forward slash the 
Cultural Hall, where you get to be a part of the secret but not sacred Facebook group where all of us are hanging out and talking about the tangential things around each of these episodes. Uh, maybe uh, maybe you just want to throw your monetary support towards the show. You can do that. Patreon.com forward slash the cultural hall. Now, I uh, I tease that this may be the hardest question of the interview. And, and I think knowing uh, knowing how people are, I think that this may very well be that hardest question. And so I, I'm going to pose the question and then give you that moment uh, to think about it. But know that these questions uh, are coming to both of you. You will both be asked the same question. And that, and that question is, what is it that makes you remarkable as a Latter-day Saint woman? So let that marinate, let that sit on you. It's going to be one of those things where it's like, oh, I'm not, oh, I just, you know, don't, I don't want to hear that. I want you to own your remarkableness and whichever one of you would like to go first, I would love to hear that. I almost wish I could say it about Becky. No, I do wish I could say about Becky rather than myself. I feel like that would be much, much, much easier. Sure. That's why it is the hardest question of this <laughs> sure. entire I thought time. you were giving me permission when you nope. said sure. Nope, okay. absolutely not. Becky, did you want to go first? <laughs> oh, golly. Okay. Sure. Well, you weren't kidding. This is a difficult question. Um, let's see. So I, just a little bit of background for me. So I am a teacher. I teach at BYU and I also work as a therapist in Layton. And uh, I feel like I had to work really hard to be able to get to this career where I'm really talking to people every day and I'm really trying to be flexible to accommodate whatever they might be needing. And what I've really discovered, and I would say the past five years, um, is that there's there's not anything that somebody can tell me that would scare me away mm. or that would cause me to feel like they are this this person who can't be redeemed, like unless they tell me they're like, I don't know, an ax murder or something. I haven't had that ever. That's good. But I think about in my office and I think about in my students, um, my ability to feel compassion for others is really a gift. And it really helps me understand more of Christ's atonement and how our heavenly parents feel about all of us. And I think those skills are only, um, increased every day I'm on the job as I meet new people as I talk to new students if I as I encounter their new circumstances and their cultural identities how do you think that influences your uh your spiritual walk being able to have that increased compassion and empathy for these folks yeah that's a good question um I will be honest I think it's a lot more difficult to feel compassion for myself and to understand how the grace of the atonement operates in my life. And so sometimes when I think like, it's not real, it doesn't exist. Like, wait a minute, I have evidence and I have proof with all of the people that I work with. And so that has acted as a spiritual anchor saying, it's okay if I can't quite figure it out in my life. And perhaps I never will for the rest of my life. I'll never have that like true understanding of an infinite atonement. However, I see the light of the gospel. And I see grace every single day with everybody that I work with. And I don't know, I just think that's one of the, the 
biggest blessings ever. Like perhaps Heavenly Father was thinking like, this daughter of mine will probably struggle, but I'll just sprinkle all of these other people so that she can see like, this is legit. This is a thing. How uh, how are you able to share then, taking that one step further, the things that you're able to learn? Uh, you know, this is a world that is not full of compassion or empathy or seemingly so. How are you able to you know, function and be growing in that space and then look around you and and maybe even in some, you know, some church atmospheres be like, no, guys, we're missing the compassion and empathy piece of this. But where do you fit in and all that? Oh, that, you know, that's really hard. I think about when you think of a church community with lots of people, um, it can be more intimidating to bring compassion into the picture just because there are multiple different perspectives um, but I think about Christ when he ministered, he ministered to the one and he's searching for the the lost sheep. And so it's, it's a much different atmosphere when you're not communicating with a group of people with just one person in a congregation or one person in your stake and all of the extraneous like, chatter and all of that is gone. You're just focusing on your dialogue with that person and Maybe they have a cultural worldview that's entirely different than mine. Maybe they're a different race. Maybe they're a different ethnicity or socioeconomic status, but we can still have those connections where you're like, I don't understand exactly what you're going through. However, I do know what it's like to feel scared. I do know what it's like to feel lonely. Those one-on-one interactions, that really is where like the magic of the gospel is and really learning and loving a neighbor. It just happens one by one, like one person at a time. All right, Emily, did I give you enough time? What, what is <laughs> yeah, it that I... makes you a remarkable <laughs> Latter-day Saint woman? Um, okay. Well, this is, uh, Becky is so elegant. So, I mean, eloquent and elegant. She is, but, um, she is both elegant and eloquent. And eloquent. So mine will not be quite like that, but I think maybe one of my biggest strengths is I'm willing to try. And, and I mean, um, even with this book, you know, there's so much that goes into it. And, and, and honestly, there were times when I shut the computer lid and laid on my floor and started the ceiling and thought, why am I doing this? This is hard. Like no one's paying me or, I mean, why is it that I, that I'm doing this? And so, but I, I, I tend to feel like I then will get up and let it, let it sit for a minute and then I'll, and then I'll get going on things again. And, and so I think that is maybe a strength that I have and, and and I think that Heavenly Father helps me with that. Like he allows me to have a second to and and know that I'm not perfect and realize, you know, where I can be better. And that then I have kind of a motivation within me to to keep going even when things get hard. And I think I I I've done that with my children, hopefully as a mom. Um, and then and I I teach at UVU, I teach in the elementary education department. And and so I feel like even if I make a mistake with a student or something, that I'm willing to admit that and then try to make it right and try to keep going and try to continually um, be better and do better to hopefully just make wherever I am a better place, I guess. You know, I, I think that sometimes it gets a little softened because, and go with me here for a second, there are so many books in the world that we just go, hey, you're putting a book together, right? But what an audacious and courageous act to be able to say, 
hey, uh, this this either this brainchild or this collaborative effort of this, and to be able to put it out in the world and then be like, is my baby an ugly baby? Do we like <laughs> this thing? How tell me tell me about some of the things that you've learned, um, either yourself personally or about the way that that uh, God can step into your life in the authorship process. I think. Um... I think like sometimes when they're about to give up, then someone comes along and just gives you a little bit of encouragement. Sometimes I think that's all it takes. And whether that, you know, I, I do believe like maybe that's just a tender mercy of, of heavenly father pushing, pushing me along at the right time and the right place. Like, okay, yeah, this is going to work out. Just keep going, take a deep breath. And, um, you know, we started the desert book. I, I submitted the idea in like June of 2021. Mm -hmm. And then that fall, they said, Hey, we're kind of interested, kind of interested in this idea. If you'll finish it up and you, and they gave me the option of finding a co-author, which I liked. And then they said, they kept kind of a little bit reminding us though. Remember, we haven't signed anything yet. This is still, we got so far in the process, like basically almost done with the process. Um, And they didn't even tell us that it was a go until Mm. August of 2022. And so it was almost a year that we had been talking to them and we just kept going. And I think having Becky as my um, co-author and writing partner, she gave me a ton of strength to just keep going. And then I would read like something she wrote about a woman and I would just be like, oh, yes, this is amazing. This is helping me in my life. Like this needs to continue forward because um, of the strength that I was feeling in my own life from these women's stories. So uh, I we didn't get the opportunity to talk about this before we started recording. So as an interviewer, I'm stepping out on, on a little bit of a limb here, but I have a question for each of you. Is there someone uh, that didn't make the book that their story is significant to you and you wanted to take a second to share about that individual? Becky's yeah. nodding her head. Let's do it, Becky. Go ahead. Um, I can. Um so we had many recommendations for 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 living women to interview we had some plugins from deseret book we consulted with a lot of friends acquaintances like interested parties i guess you could say um last summer i i traveled to california to visit my grandmother and she I decided to interview her because we don't really have her records and a lot of the records like for family history, like was all destroyed when they were fleeing China. And so she told me about what it was like for her family to grow up through world war two. And then as the communists were, were taking over how they had to flee to Taiwan and she talked about her journey of of joining the church and then coming to America for the first time. And I feel like I already had like sufficient respect for my grandmother, but after talking to her, I just had like this mad respect for her. I was like, mm. I had no idea that you went through all of these. And so as I was talking to her, I just said, you know what? I was like, Nina, I would love to feature you in a book someday, somehow. And, you know, she was very self-deprecating. She's like, oh, like nobody would want to read my story. I'm like, well, that's a load of baloney. And so yeah. I I still have her story saved 
on my records because it's so powerful and meaningful to me. And so that is a story that I hope will get told one day. Yeah. All right, Emily, back to you. Well, to go along with what Becky's saying is we just, uh, um, on April 3rd, we launched a Instagram account. It's called at, well, it's at she did book. And, um, so what we decided to do is to highlight women from around the world Awesome. Um, on there. And so, and, and every day it'll have a little reel of the person's story. You can see pictures of their life and then it'll have a caption about their story. And Becky's grandma actually was one of the first people that we featured on there. So you can go there to read a little bit more. It, it, her grandma's story brought tears to my eyes when I read it. it it's so beautiful. And, and then I also, there's a, there's a person on there who we've also on the, she did um, book Instagram account who we featured and her name is Ellis Brown. And it's a, it's a person I know she's a young mom with three children, but in the summer of um, 2021, her husband jumped into a swimming pool and hit the bottom of the pool and uh, basically broke his neck and became a, um, so now, and she, she had only two children at the time and then she was pregnant. So anyway, her story and her example to me are amazing. Um, so she actually, she is on the Instagram as well, but we thought that's another way for women now to connect with one another and, and to see, even though we have these women in the book, there's also every woman, they have their own story. And so many of them, again, they just think are ordinary acts, but what they're doing are extraordinary. And a lot of the women in the book, they would have called themselves maybe ordinary, but the things that they did um, were extraordinary and they didn't realize it at the time. You know, you mentioned there are 23 women that are highlighted, highlit. I'm not sure the way they say that exactly, but that are uh, that are written about within the book. And I know that you won't have an answer to this, but I'm going to push you to to try and at least uh, open up about one of them. It's the favorite. Everybody asks the favorite question. Is there a favorite woman uh, that would be featured in the book? And you don't. it doesn't have to be your favorite because I'm sure they're all your favorite and you love them all each individually for various reasons. Sure. Uh, I would like to know about one that maybe either resonates with the time in in your life where you're at right now, uh, mm -hmm. some, something that you have some sort of distinct connection as we sit and do this interview. And Emily, I'm going to make you go first because you've been making Becky okay. go first all the time. I know. I'm rude. <laughs> okay. Um, like you already prefaced it with we love them all. Yep. But um, one that... Uh, that I really love because I did, I mean, I did a ton of research on all of them, but I was able to read Helen is her name. Um, and she, uh, and I mentioned her earlier, mm -hmm. but she had written an autobiography and she was a Hopi living in um, America, in Arizona in the early 1900s. But I was absolutely fascinated by her autobiography. And there are not very many women I mean, hardly any at all who wrote their stories who were Hopi during that time, because a lot of them were illiterate. And so this is like a treasure that there is an autobiography from her. But as I read the different ways, the ways that her life were different from mine, but then some of the things that were the same, again, I loved seeing that, but I'll just give you an example of something that she did that, that changed something that I did. And um, she and her husband, they lived off of the reservation in Arizona and they lived where a lot of different um, ind indigenous people would pass by mm -hmm. uh, the spot. And at the time, the Hopi and the Navajo 
would there were a lot of conflicts between them. But she made it known to everyone that if they passed by her house, that they were more than welcome to stay, no matter who they were. And she also told them that if she was out of town and they came upon her house, they could go in, they could eat their food, and they could even sleep in their beds while they were away. And I just thought this was remarkable. I mean, it, it a lot of her life was like that. She was a very giving person. And so that last summer, my family was having a huge um, family reunion here in Salt Lake. And some of my cousins were coming in from out of town. I wasn't going to be home during the time we were going to going to be out of town. And so I'm like, okay, I know that Helen would offer her home to people. <laughs> so in my own life, I offered my home for two of my cousins' families to come and stay at my home while they went to this reunion. And had it not been for Helen, I don't think I would have um, been as generous. So I just loved that that tiny little example that that she was and how it was affecting my life in such a way that I wanted to see how I could be better because of her example. Yeah. I was, I was hoping that, that uh, part of that would mean that you were going to say that your house is always open and that people can, <laughs> I, find, I find myself in your neck of the woods quite often. I drop in for a PB and J, something like that. Hey, you can anytime you're welcome. Uh, you would never get rid of me. All right, Becky, <laughs> what about for you? Yeah. I well, I had such an amazing privilege to to interview the living women, and I always thought now, it was so. Now pause yeah. real quick because I'm curious about that because I would imagine just as I made those questions to you guys that there's a certain level of discomfort when you're like, "Hey, we're writing a book about remarkable women," and you know, human nature certainly, but I maybe in particular women, I don't know, maybe that's a misspeak. Um, but to be like, no, you you have the wrong person. I'm sure that there are people way greater than me. How, how are you able to stress? No, you are important. You are who I want to talk to and push by that initial resistance. Sure. Yeah. We would talk to them about how we heard their story. Like mm. we heard your story on a podcast or it was recommended to us. But a lot of times, like in actually communicating with the women, would let them know, like, this wasn't some arbitrary decision. Like, this was a matter that we took to prayer, like thinking about who would be right for this book. And so it's kind of like saying, well, like when you have God's stamp of approval, like yep. you can't say no. Yeah. Well, you probably can, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that wasn't like field tripping them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we told them specifically, like, this is why we want to tell your story. This is how it could really impact others. And they seemed more game to answering our questions after that. Mm -hmm. So then uh, do you have one that particularly touched and inspired you? Yeah. I, I just think it's really cool how with everything that's been going on my life, when I would interview a woman, there would be something in her story or something that she says that really resonated with me or just felt like a tender mercy that I needed. Um, and one that really stands out to me, I was able to interview Becky Douglas and I don't just adore her because we share the same beautiful name. Um, (laughs) but she, her story. So she had, um, her daughter was diagnosed with a bipolar disorder and even the doctors had let her know, like, this is a really this is not looking good for her. And she was so persistent in saying, no, like we are going to pray for her. We're going to go to the temple. We are going to submit her name. And unfortunately it got to the point where her daughter had taken her own life. And so 
Becky went to her dorm room to clean things out, and she discovered that her daughter, Amber, had been making small donations to an orphanage in India. And so when they held a funeral in lieu of flowers, they just asked for more donations. And then this orphanage reached out to Becky because they had received so many donations and asked her if she would want to be like a part of a board. And so she traveled to India and she talks about seeing people with leprosy or people with Hansen's disease. And she was so honest in talking about her initial like disgust and just seeing these people where their, their flesh, it was rotting and there were maggots crawling through their skin. And she felt like she needed to do something, but she didn't know how. And so she just talks about her journey of starting this organization of really going against all of the odds to be able to learn through mistakes, to get the medical attention, to give them micro loans so that they would be able to start their own businesses. And just this one moment that really stands out to me, she talks about how she was in a car and there was this woman with Hansen's disease and she was just crawling on her belly, like asking for help and begging. And in that moment, Becky saw not a woman with Hansen's disease, but she just saw another mother and she saw a child of God. And I just thought that was so powerful because how often do we encounter people where we might have this flip judgment or reaction? We're like, oh, like they're this way or they're this political party or they are like, I don't know. Like a Star they chose Wars. to do this because of the consequences of their actions. Take that. Yeah. 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 So also, I just threw Star Wars nerds under the bus. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't think of anything. But anyway, so how easy is it for us to make that flip judgment? But when you look at the big picture, this is a beloved son or daughter of heavenly parents. This is a mother. This is a father. This is like a fellow human. So when you really take it down to that divine identity, that's how those connections are forged. That's how we learn to serve others when we're able to see these uniting divine connections that bind us all together. That was one of my favorite stories to, to tell and to really be able to interview Becky was such a privilege. And can I interject something real of quick? Course. The way that Becky came up about Becky Douglas is I, I go walking once a week at the local rec center. So I was walking with my friend and this older man, he started walking with us and talking to us. And he said, uh, so what do you guys like to do? And so I told him, oh, I'm writing a book. And and he's all, I have the perfect person for you to have in your book. <laughs> and I was like, okay. And so he told me about Becky Douglas. He actually knew her personally. And so, and he told me a little bit about her story and I thought it sounded remarkable. And I thought, oh, I really would like to have her in our book. But then I didn't even know his name and I didn't usually go to the rec center as early as I knew he did. So I had, I ended up having to write him a, a card, like a note on a piece of paper, give it to an older couple in my ward who I knew would go to the rec center probably around the same time he did mm -hmm. give him the note, asking him to email me. And then he didn't respond right away. So I said, Hey, can you give him a little nudge? So she went back and said, Hey, have you emailed her yet? And then finally I received an email from him saying, okay, yeah, her name was Becky Douglas. Cause I couldn't like, you know, I was like, okay, who is this? And he, he kind of made us a personal connection where we could then um, get in contact with her, which was really nice. So that's another story where it came about 
so randomly, but again, like now I feel like she has made a big difference in both of our lives learning about her story. Yeah. Let's take another break. When we come back in the third block. There are three questions we ask everyone who steps into the cultural hall. I will ask those of you. Plus, I got a couple other up my sleeve. We'll come back and do that in the third block. Best DJ in Utah.com. It's been a while since we've had a new one of these, and I apologize for that. It's because I've been so busy DJing events all over the country. Uh, but especially here in Utah, been able to do some great, uh, you know, weddings. I've done a, a prom or two for different listeners of the cultural hall. I love it when you uh, reach out to me at bestdjinutah.com, or uh, you can find the phone number online as well. I would love it if you say, hey, I heard about you on the cultural hall, because maybe, just maybe, I give a cultural hall discount. Uh, all sorts of events. It doesn't have to be a, a wedding. It could be a community event. Maybe it's a ward or youth activity. I'm doing one of those this summer. In fact, just lock the deal down on that. Uh, whatever it may be, if you need music to accompany your event or you just need a great MC, I would love to be able to help you out. You're simply going to need to go to bestdjinutah.com. Imagine running a small business today. It's challenging. Imaging and internet presence is an absolute must. Even with that, you're still a small star in a bright cyber universe. Now, imagine you have someone who understands how to get your site designed for your talents and then easily searched by potential clients. Imagine Lennon Design. Whether it's strictly a website or a whole package of logo creation, advertising media, and promotional materials, Lennon Design is your partner in business. They'll test the boundaries of their imagination to create something unique for you. When you need creative, affordable design, let it be Lennon Design. Call 801-699-3022 or visit LennonDesign.com. Here in the third block of the Cultural Hall, remember you can always reach out to us, contact at theculturalhall.com. I don't go walking at rec centers, so if you want someone to be a guest <laughs> here on the show, you need to send an email, contact at theculturalhall.com. Say, you know what would be a great guest? This book or this podcast or this person that I met while I was walking at a rec center. It's contact at theculturalhall.com. So taking our question uh, of earlier and turning it on its head, I want to give you guys each the opportunity to be able to answer this. Becky, what is something that you have learned from Emily in this process? Something that you feel like makes her a remarkable Latter-day Saint woman? And Emily, heads up, the question is coming to you after Becky answers. Oh, I love that question. I could go on forever. Um, I've always considered myself like a pretty ambitious person. Emily is without a doubt, one of the most ambitious individuals I know. And so when she was talking about how she always tries, that is absolutely true. We hit so many problems and conundrums and putting together the book and then putting together the marketing plan for, for social media. And she would really do her research and her homework and trying to figure things out. And so I just think that it's incredible to see a woman who is raising children, who has a job, who has such a strong testimony of the gospel. And she is so ambitious where she's like, you know what? I'm going to share this with other people. I want to see how many people we can reach. And like, it's incredible. There's so many times when I would be leaving from a meeting or like we would just hang up after a phone call. I thought like this woman is like the energizer bunny. Like I hope I have as much energy as her when I am her age. Um, and so that Which is, is 27 to be fair. It I'm is. Who, it is. Well, I'm a year there. older than it, her. Yeah. No. <laughs> just one year older than Becky. That's all that is. Sorry to interrupt. Becky. I'll be 29 because I'm 28. Oh. So. <laughs> so she's younger. I don't know. It gets confusing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah it does. <laughs> 
but that that just stands out to me all the time. Her ambition, her devotion, her willingness to problem solve. Um, as we've been working on the social media, we look, we're not like the most technologically savvy people. And I'm, I'm a millennial. So this is supposed to be my generation to understand how to do stuff. Mm-hmm. And there've been so many times when we are messaging each other and like, how do we do this? Or I'm looking up YouTube videos and like a 16 year old is trying to teach me how to do all these things. <laughs> and whenever I come with her with a problem, she's like, let me research this. And so she'll eventually get back to me. And she's not just going to send like a short snippet. She's going to send me like a page with very detailed instructions on how to do this. I'm like, this is a woman who speaks to my soul. She's very thorough. She makes checklists. Like that's how I knew <laughs> we were okay. That we we both make checklists. <laughs> on paper with a pencil. I yeah. know. Yes. <laughs> with a phone or a computer. Like nope. why? Because <laughs> that because of that visceral visceral like embodied response that you get when you get to pencil to paper, either cross that out or check that box. There is no feeling that an app will give you like that. Nope. Hey, we could we could we could uh, have him join us. He's yeah. he's right on our same page. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Emily, it's your turn. Okay, thank you, Becky. That was so sweet. But um, as you can tell, just from I'm mean, listening to her on the podcast, and like I said earlier, she is eloquent, elegant, and eloquent. But just the way that she can put together her thoughts, I love both. Like when you're talking to her, but also in her writing, her writing is just beautiful. And even um, she makes me laugh, like when she sends me like a card personally or something. And my daughter, my, my 18 year old, she doesn't like know Becky personally, just, I mean, they, they've met a few times, but I'll be like, okay, Hey, Becky sent me a card. you got her. My daughter even loves to read Becky's cause she just has so much voice. And, and so, yeah, I love what a beautiful writer she is. And you can tell she's very calm and wise. And so every time I talk to her, I just appreciate that she's brought that to the project and, and the fun and, and her testimony. She has um, such a deep testimony of heavenly father. And, and also, as you've noticed in the podcast, um, she, she is so welcoming and loving to everyone. And so I think she's the exact partner that I feel like I was guided toward in order to help me with this. I think we've had a blast too. We'll get together for dinner and it's how many hours later and we're like, "Uh oh, (laughs) better get home. I feel bad. I'm like, oh, does she even want to uh, meet together with me? Because she knows it might be a while that we're, but we're just having fun. So she's just a really great all around, um, beautiful person. So I'm, I'm, I feel blessed that I know her and have her in my life. All right, ladies, there are three questions that we ask everyone who steps into the cultural hall, and I will ask those of you now. The first question is, is do you have a calling right now? And if so, what is it? Becky? I teach Sunday school. Which age? Um, oh, golly, I don't know. I'm in a YSA ward. <laughs> okay, okay. And I, I think I mentioned this earlier, but I am a young woman leader, and I'm fortunate enough to have my daughter in my class left. Uh, right now, which has been just the best. Is she fortunate enough? That's the real. Ah, question. Good question. Yeah. I don't know. You'd have to ask her. <laughs> uh, the second question we ask everyone is if you could pick your calling one that exists or make one up, what would you pick? Oh man. Well, being a Sunday school teacher, it's one of my favorites. I absolutely love it. I would have to say my favorite calling. Oh gosh. Now I feel like I need to knock on wood. Cause I feel like this was just going to haunt me for it's the rest coming. of the, the bishop- I know. 
the bishop will bring you in and go, I'd like you to listen to something before we chat today. I don't know. Maybe I should say like ward greeter now or something. (laughs) Um, I love doing singing time in primary. It is so much fun. And I feel like in primary, I get to act like more of a 12 year old and be socially accepted when I act that way. (laughs) Now, are you, so let me ask you this. Are you like costumes and games uh, singing time or are you a rudimentary study of the, the, uh, the timing and timbre of the voice and, and that kind of thing, like which, which, uh, which sort of uh, music teacher would you be the <laughs> all over the place? What, you know, what era or is she going to be dressing from or more down the line? I mean, like, I'm not going to be dressed like a pioneer or something. I feel like I'm pretty, pretty engaging. I would say it's a mix of both, but let's okay. be honest, junior primary, like it's basically running a circus and I feel like I do the same thing at BYU with my students where like, if I'm trying to get their attention, I really have to resist the urge to be like, if you can hear me, touch your nose. And I'm like, Wait a minute, these aren't like my junior kids. These are 18 year olds and 19 year olds. And I can't speak to them with like my voice three octaves higher than it actually is. <laughs> Fair enough. What about you, Emily? Um, I think I would love any calling with my husband. So we we did teach um, gospel doctrine together once in the past, but um, yeah, a- anything primary Sunday school, even nursery. I think anything together with him would be fun. And when Emily gets called to a mission at the end of this being published, <laughs> yeah. she'll be like, "Wait, no! I said with my husband, but I didn't mean somewhere else. We still, yeah." <laughs> Uh, The last question, uh, I'll let whomever of you who wants to go first answer it. Um, But you both, of course, will answer the question, hopefully. Uh, The question is, and we ask you to interpret it however you may, but the question remains, what is your favorite part of your faith? Hmm. Um, I can go first if you want me to. Please. Um, I think my favorite part of my faith is my faith that there is a Heavenly Father and um, a Savior. and and I have felt that throughout my life. And that is what has built my testimony and made my testimony what it is today. And even um, recently I had, or, you know, a little while ago, I was, I was struggling with something and, and I remember kneeling and, and, you know, talking to Heavenly Father about this. And, um, and the thought came to my mind, I have been there for you before, and I will be there for you now. Mm. And, 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 and I knew that because of past experiences where I have felt a calmness that maybe I wouldn't have otherwise, or people have come into my life that, um, you know, or just tiny little things that I needed right at the moment that, that helped me to know that my heavenly father and savior are aware of me and that I truly am a child of God. And I have a, I have an earthly father who I adore and I mean, both my mom and dad. And so I see their love for me. And I imagine that Heavenly Fathers is even more than that. And so I think that's been a guiding light in my life, knowing that no matter where I am, the circumstance that I can always um, ask my Heavenly Father for help and he'll be there for me. All right, Becky, bring it home. Yeah, I think my favorite part of my faith, it really is my testimony in the Savior. And I think we learn so much from his ministry and how he interacts with everybody in, in scripture. Um, there's this line in the new Testament where it just talks about how his bowels were filled with compassion and, or he felt compassion in looking at these people. And I love that because compassion, it's 
there's some kind of action, like you're moved to compassion to do something. But if you look at the roots of compassion, it also means to suffer with. And I can't think of a more fitting description of the savior where he suffers with these people. And then as he empathizes with what they're going through, he's able to act on that. And we think about that all the time with the atonement and grace and with like Alma 7 how he suffered all of these pains, afflictions, and temptations. And so I think that gives such a beautiful model of how we can minister to those around us. We don't have to fix the problem. We don't have to know what magic remedy or the perfect thing to say is going to be. But if we just sit with them and if we suffer with them, like if we are willing to hold space for their feelings, that can be so powerful in forging a connection and letting somebody know that they are not alone and that we're willing to walk that space with them. Yeah. Uh, well said. I appreciate both of your guys' comments and uh, taking some time to be with me. Uh, the name of the book is She Did Ordinary Women Extraordinary Faith. And there will be a link uh, not only for that book where you can purchase it through Deseret Book in the show notes, um, but also a link to the social media if you want to learn about more extraordinary women that may not, in fact, be featured in said book. I've been visiting with Becky Hood and Emily Cushing. It's like pushing if you ever forget how to say it. Uh, we hope that this episode has nourished and strengthened your body, that if you're not healthy enough to listen this week, that you'll be healthy enough to listen next week, and that when the time comes, you'll be able to travel home in safety. In the meantime, Chris at Alpine Lakes Travel, Rick McGee, Debbie Wanless, and Chocolate Cake Bites Podcast, we'll be saving a seat for you on the back row of the Cultural Hall. Save me a seat, it's sure to be neat on the back.